0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie bandit of blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we'll be talking about microbiology diagnostics, how they're advancing with special focus on the 16S ribosomal RNA gene. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Robin Patel, the division chair for, of clinical microbiology at Mayo Clinic, Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Patel. Great,
1: it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Dr. Patel, what is 16S ribosomal RNA?
1: All right, well, the 16S ribosomal RNA gene is a gene that's present in every single type of bacteria. And so it's kind of a universal marker for bacteria that we can use to first determine genetically whether a bacterium is present And then we can actually sequence this gene, and there are differences, subtle differences, between um, the gene between different species of bacteria. And so we can not only detect but identify bacteria, telling our clinicians and our patients which bacterium they might be infected with.
0: I see. So does it sound like there's a two-stage or two-step process for identifying it for screening for? whether you have 16S ribosomal RNA gene present and then uh, sequencing it or?
1: So um, it depends on how we're using it. It can be used directly on colonies that are grown in culture, um, in which case uh, we'll do PCR and move straight on to sequencing. Okay. It can alternatively be used directly on a patient's specimen without going through a culture stage first. In that case, we'll look for whether the gene is present as a marker of bacterial infection. And only if we detect it will we then move on to sequencing because there would be no point in sequencing something that's not there. yeah. Um, and so in that context, it's a little bit more of kind of a two-stage procedure. I see, so
0: what does this mean for physicians and uh, their patients now that this is uh, something that can be done in the microbiology lab?
1: Yeah, so we've um, been doing this kind of testing since before the turn of the century. Um, <laughs> And it's a tool that has helped us for a very long time identify bacteria grown in culture. Um, Over the past two and a half years, we've also been doing it routinely in our clinical practice right out of patient specimens. Mm -hmm. And where that's useful is when we have a situation where cultures may be negative, perhaps because an organism is what we call fastidious, so it doesn't grow well in cultures or because it's not growing because of prior treatment with antibiotics. Um, You might imagine as a pathologist, for example, that you're doing some stains on a specimen and you can see something there and you want to know what it is. That's where this can be particularly helpful. Um, sometimes cultures just haven't been performed for whatever reason perhaps someone wasn't thinking it was an infection that was affecting a patient and all that was obtained was a specimen for histopathology and then later upon review of that specimen it's realized that this actually is an infectious disease but there is no specimen to culture Mm. so we can use that specimen then to get an answer uh, as to what's there and causing that infection.
0: Wow, it sounds like a, a test that really can help you out in a lot of uh, difficult situations. Um, I was wondering if you, you said early on that uh, you know we've been doing this test for a, a while now and that more recently you're kind of doing it more in routine practice. Could you talk a little, a little bit, elaborate about how the practice has changed, why it has changed to be more, commonplace to do uh this testing
1: yeah let me clarify i I don't think i made that so clear so we've actually been doing this test clinically since the 1990s Mm -hmm. um what has changed recently is the types of specimens we do it on Mm. so originally beginning in the 1990s we were testing organisms grown in culture so when a specimen is sent to the laboratory, a culture may be performed, and if there's growth, then that growth needs to be identified. You may have colonies growing on a plate. There are a number of ways that those colonies can be identified, one of which is 16S ribosomal Mm -hmm. RNA gene PCR and sequencing. More recently, in the last two and a half years, we are now going directly from patient specimens, Mm -hmm. such as um, the case type of scenario that I just described where maybe there's a histopathologic specimen where we can see organisms, but there were no cultures performed or the cultures are negative because the patient has received antibiotics. Mm. We can go directly from that specimen without having to culture first um, and be able to identify that organism.
0: I see. I imagine you've uh, come across a couple of interesting cases in your years of doing this kind of testing. I was wondering if you could kind of take us through uh, one of the interesting cases you've come across and if you kind of uh, describe your kind of thought process as you went through the case.
1: Yeah, well, there there have been many, as, as you might imagine, um, with a test as broad as this that can detect, you know, hundreds of different things. Um, one of the most interesting findings is that occasionally we'll find things we weren't looking for or that Mm -hmm. maybe we didn't even know could be there and Mm -hmm. causing infection in our patients. And um, so one example, and and like I said, there there are many, is um, we had a gentleman come to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, who had what appeared to be leprosy. Leprosy is a pretty unusual diagnosis for someone from Minnesota. We, we do see it occasionally here, but not very commonly, and certainly not very commonly in people from Minnesota. Um, but he had had a biopsy done. Uh, he had um, skin lesions on his face and other parts of his body, and um, the findings were consistent with leprosy, and there were acid-fast bacilli that were mm-hmm. present. And so um, based on his clinical presentation, alongside the histopathologic findings, a diagnosis was made. Um, But there was interest in, more out of curiosity than anything else, seeing what would be revealed by this test, Uh, because Mycobacterium leprae, which we... We're all taught in medical school is the cause of leprosy is a bacterium, and it has a 16S ribosomal RNA gene. So theoretically, though, the assay wasn't really designed as a specific diagnosis for leprosy, right? It should work. And so um, we ran the assay, and uh, what was most surprising is that it was not Mycobacterium leprae. It was an organism that's phylogenetically related to Mycobacterium leprae, but isn't, called Mycobacterium lepromatosis, and this is a very recently described uh, species that can cause leprosy, but it is particularly rare in the United States, Um, and we would have never suspected this organism to be causing his disease. Uh, it was also confirmed by some specific uh, testing uh, because it was so unusual, but it shows you that sometimes we we know what things are as healthcare providers and we can be wrong, and so having <laughs> precision diagnostics such as this one uh, can be helpful in that regard uh, in terms of maybe reteaching us what we already think we know.
0: I love that example. I mean, that's one of the things that brought me to pathology is is really uh, what we can do in diagnostics, getting to the root. And I mean, uh, with this story, it really speaks to the epidemiology is, you know, so much stronger uh, going forward because we can have that degree of accuracy.
1: For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. What are
0: the limitations when you're talking about this kind of testing?
1: Right. Well, um, there are several, of course, like with any test. Mm. Um, We have bacteria in and on us. Um, There are normal microbiota. There are lots of them. Um, And so uh, the way that this is done using Sanger sequencing, we really can only look for infections that are caused by one bacterium. If there's a mixture of things present, uh, then uh, that can be a challenge. Uh, In addition, um, if the specimen is somehow contaminated with bacterial dna uh, that can result in a false positive result and of course there's there are bacteria and therefore bacterial dna everywhere Mm. so background is an issue for us in the assay and uh, because of that we have to set thresholds um, above which we'll call a result and and below which we can't because we're sort of in the level of what could be background. So the assay is not the most sensitive of assays that are out there. As far as um, the mixtures, that's something that hopefully in the future can be sorted out with new sequencing technologies.
0: Oh, so where's this headed? Is is that where we're headed to, uh, next-gen uh, sequencing for, for 16S? Or? Right,
1: yeah, so we're currently, um, in process of developing an option where if we see mixed products, we can perform next-generation sequencing to um, deconvolute what we're seeing. So that, for example, if a patient has two or three or four, maybe even more, organisms that they're infected with all in the same specimen, that we can tease them all apart using this technique, as you pointed out by next-generation sequencing. I
0: see, and so that's really gonna be helpful when you're talking about using it directly on a patient sample as opposed to having a a pure colony that you're using the testing on.
1: Right, Um, yeah, occasionally in a pure colony we run into that issue because this can be a multi-copy target and there could be target um, variation within a strain of bacterium, but, uh, usually that's not the case. So this this so is more saying, useful uh, directly from clinical specimens.
0: So you're saying heterogeneity of the one bacterium mm-hmm. within? Correct, I yeah. I see. Interesting. So um, what's the turnaround time for this kind of test then? Uh, I imagine when you're talking about if there's a urgent uh, need on a patient sample is... Is that a particular case where this can get you to results much uh, more expeditiously?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, our clinicians have uh, requested and I would say gotten used to having tests very quickly because when people are sick with an infectious disease, they need an answer very quickly because. They need to get put on appropriate treatment, and um, the speed at which that is done can make a difference in terms of outcome. And so, um, as I mentioned, directly from clinical specimens, this is a PCR. And then if the PCR is positive, it's followed by sequencing. The PCR is very rapid, Mm -hmm. so we can do that in a matter of about an hour. And so a negative result is very, very quick, right? And then uh, sequencing usually takes us another day, but we um, are in process of working on strategies where we can turn that around in the same day. Uh, And I think, you know, for the future, that's where we need to be with this kind of testing. I've certainly had multiple clinicians, you know, ask for this test uh, as fast as possible so they can make... Uh, quick decisions for management of their patients, and I certainly understand that. So we're trying to do it well, but also to do it quickly.
0: Uh, so when right before we started recording, you and I were talking about um, uh, microbiology. Uh, the laboratory is usually very uh, closely working with the infectious disease clinicians, and we have uh, quite a broad uh, listenership here on this podcast. And I was wondering if you could kind of uh, where does this uh, testing, this 16S uh, ribosomal RNA gene testing fit? in the toolbox, uh, who should be ordering this?
1: Right, it's a really good question, and I would say it's not fully defined in the field yet. Uh, there are not many places that have this kind of testing, so there aren't, for example, um, a lot of guidelines that will address you know when this test is appropriate or not appropriate. Uh, but generally speaking, it's it's not a test that you typically perform straight out of the gate when you're working up a patient. And so oftentimes it will be performed um, under the advisement of an infectious diseases doctor, for example, in a case where an answer is not forthcoming with other diagnostics.
0: And just a question I always like to ask people, uh, for since we have a a broad uh, listenership uh, what is it that you wish uh, the medical community uh, knew about the microbiology lab what's kind of the unknown that you wish uh, more people knew
1: i think it's it's good for clinicians to know their clinical microbiologists and for clinical microbiologists to know their clinicians Uh, So that each side can understand um, each other, so that clinicians can understand what's kind of on the menu, if you uh, wish, uh, in the laboratory. But laboratorians can also understand what the needs are in terms of testing. And you brought up the issue of turnaround time as well, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you can have a good test, but if it's not performed in a timely manner, then it, it doesn't matter so much. So it's not just what we perform, but how we perform it as well.
0: I think that's a beautiful highlight about understanding uh, both sides, understanding each other, because like you say, there's going to be different needs based on what patient population you serve and what kind of patients you see. That's wonderful. Anything else you wanted to add today?
1: No, thank you so much for having <laughs> me here. It's, it's been a pleasure.
0: We've been rounding with Dr. Patel on uh, how microbiology diagnostics are advancing, especially with the 16S ribosomal RNA gene. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us, Dr. Patel. Uh, We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.